Hello everyone, my name is Daniela Lake and this is Life Told by a Stranger. Life Told by a Stranger is a podcast where we hear about the diverse backgrounds, experiences, hardships, and dreams of people who have lived different walks of life. I started this podcast two years ago when I was 15, and listening to all these people's stories helps me embrace my own uniqueness, and in turn, I hope it can help you embrace yours. This season, on top of the regular interview questions I ask my guests, I asked them each to choose a quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson's essay on self-reliance. This quote either parallels a time in their life, their advice to others, or more. Self-reliance talks about embracing who you are, society's effects on the individual, being a nonconformist, and so much more. Today, I'm here with Sandra Benton. I grew up in North Carolina, uh, born and raised uh, just outside of Shelby, which is halfway between Asheville, North Carolina, and Charlotte, North Carolina, in a little small community uh, called Five Forks. And uh, that's where I was born and raised, and um, I still have family in that area, and uh, it was a really nice nice way to grow up, a uh, quiet country life. Yeah. So when did you move to L.A.? Ooh, I moved to L.A. in uh, 2011, but before that, I moved from North Carolina to New York, to Atlanta, to Las Vegas, then to L.A. How different is life in L.A. than... Compared to North Carolina? (laughs) Completely different. In North Carolina, you live a very quiet lifestyle. There's not a lot of people around where you live, or at least where I live. Um, because I didn't live in a city, I lived out in the country. And now here I am living in a, in a major metropolitan city. All of the cities that I've lived in have been huge, as opposed to North Carolina. L.A. has got a lot of people from different walks of life and uh, different ethnicities and different cultures, which is amazing. And in North Carolina, it was very simple, not a lot of different variations. It was just pretty much... When I grew up, it was pretty much black and white. And then um, through the years, we have gotten more ethnic people living in our area. So it's it's actually become more of a melting pot than it ever was when I was a kid. But L.A., you've got people from around the world who come here seeking opportunities. you got people coming here because we have great lifestyle, living at the beach, living, you know, going hiking in the mountains. The weather. The weather, 78 degrees pretty much all year long, except when it gets super hot. But there's lots of different foods and things to experience and creative people. People come here who write and sing mm-hmm. and direct. And, you know, I felt when I moved to L.A., I found my tribe because I have been seeking the, the, the creative people And here I found so many and they all understand the language that I speak in. So that's that's the best part of living in L.A. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what brought you here? Um, Well, I'm an actor and I'm a singer and I'm a director and a writer and a producer. And so um, the industry, the entertainment industry is what made me come here. Um, When I moved to New York, it was for the same thing. I was pursuing a theater career, and uh, I was a singer and a dancer and an actor, actor first, singer second, dancer third. And uh, so I finished my education there. 
And I loved living there and became a member of Equity, which is the Actors Union for Theater. And um, through a series of events, I ended up moving to Atlanta, which was also another theater-rich city. Who knew? But uh, Atlanta has a lot of theater. And um, so I moved there and became really well ensconced in the theater scene down in Atlanta. And then I was doing a show called uh, Menopause the Musical. Mm-hmm. And through, <laughs> I know, such a funny title. But through that show, I ended up moving. My producers asked me to be a part of the company uh, of actors in Las Vegas. And that's how I ended up moving to Las Vegas. And when I finished doing that show in Las Vegas... A lot of my friends were like, well, are you going to move back to Atlanta? And I was like, you know what? I'm this close to L.A. because L.A. is only four hours away from Vegas. That's how I ended up moving to L.A. So what do you think your biggest surprise in the entertainment industry has been? The biggest surprise? Yeah, like what were you not expecting when you first started? The biggest surprise about the entertainment industry is how small it is. That's I think that's what's the biggest surprise because... You think, oh, I'm just doing this little play or I'm just doing this little part in this TV show or this little thing. And then you realize that when you go to auditions, you see the same people at the auditions because usually you're a kind of a type or whatever. And when you go out to promote those things or go any place, everybody knows somebody that you know. I think in that way, the industry is very much a family, even though you may not know like the top percent people that you see on TV all the time, but the people who actually support the industry and work in the industry, you find that you get to know a lot of people and it's very small circles. I think that's the biggest surprise that I've experienced. When I first moved here, I thought, oh gosh, it's going to be so hard to get to know people or see people. And it's really not. Once you start taking the time to go to industry functions or, or go out and meet people or just go do something creative and find people that way, you'll start to see that everybody's connected. It's really fun. Yeah. The first year I moved here, um, I joined SAG, SAG-AFTRA. It was SAG when I joined, not SAG-AFTRA. <laughs> and uh, they have a lot of meetings and things. So I would, I would just, if I had a day off, I was at a meeting. I would go and see. And then you start to see people. You're like, oh, my God, I saw that person on TV. I saw that person on TV. It was like, oh, that person was in a movie I saw last week. You have the opportunity to have FaceTime and meet one-on-one. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. it sounds like fun. It is. <laughs> I enjoy it. Yeah. I definitely have I've been doing this for a very long time. I started acting when I was, like, for real acting, like when I was 15. So how did you build yourself up in the entertainment industry? What was your journey like? Ooh, well, um, I know that when I started, my parents didn't want me to go into this industry. I came from working class parents. Uh, My dad worked at Pittsburgh Paint and Glass, PPG Industries, worked in fiberglass. And my mother worked for Duran Textiles or a mill. She was a twister tender, so she made the... The, the thread that turned into cloth. Mm. So um, she worked in textiles. They were very hardworking people who, you know, that's what they knew. And so for them to have a child who's like, 
I want to be a singer and a dancer and an actor. They're like, uh, yeah, no, uh, not so much. I mean, they always encouraged me to, to go after my dreams and everything, but it was just that fear of how are you going to make it in this world? And uh, I was the first one in my family to go to college. Uh, I had a cousin that went prior to me. Um, but I mean, in my immediate family, I was the first one. You know, I wanted to study musical theater, which was at that time, um, very few colleges had a musical theater degree. I ended up going to a very small private college that was one of the few that had a musical theater degree. And uh, I went there and I stayed there for a year and it was not the right fit. It just really wasn't the right fit for me um, because I couldn't see doing a four-year program and never being a lead on yeah. stage. And, you know, um, I was the only black actor in this in the program. And so, you know, I just thought, oh, do I really want to stay here for four years and, you know, always be the second banana or, you know, whatever. And so... Uh, I left that school and I went to a bigger school. I went to um, University of North Carolina at Greensboro and I became a BFA acting major. And I did some amazing roles at that school and I stayed there a year. And then I thought to myself, I'm like, okay, you've done two years. Is this really a perfect fit? And it still wasn't quite the right fit. And so I found um, the American Musical and Dramatic Academy in New York. Mm. And I auditioned for that program and I got into that program and I moved to New York sight unseen. I mean, well, I had been to New York once, but I had never like immersed myself in living in a city that fast paced. It was fun and exciting. And the great thing about moving there when I did was I, because I was in school, I had a built in support system, you know, cause here I was with all these other students who just got to New York as well. And so we all had this experience together and it wasn't so frightening. It wasn't so alone. And I, I, I commend anybody who can move to a city and be alone because that's, that's hard. You know, when you move someplace and you don't know anybody there and you don't know any way around. And, you know, I had never been on a subway before and that was frightening and new. And um, so for the first, like, I want to say like maybe the first three weeks I lived in New York, I was scared to take the subway. I, just, <laughs> I would walk from where I lived to school and back. Well, I would take the bus maybe if I was lucky, but I would walk and I lived like 20 blocks away, which in New York, 20 blocks is a mile. So I walked a mile to school, a mile back from school every day. Until I finally was like, okay, you gotta, you gotta learn how to take the subway. Mm -hmm. You can't live in this city and not take the subway. So I had to overcome that fear and I finally did. And once I did that, then the rest of the city opened up to me. You know, the whole city was just amazing. And everywhere you looked, there was something to do and places to go. And, and I, I highly recommend if you're gonna live in New York, live in New York as a young person. I remember, uh, being downtown and used to perform on a boat that was a harbor cruise around the bottom half of Manhattan. And it would, it would go by the Statue of Liberty and it would go up the Hudson a little ways oh, wow. and come back. 
And so... Uh, did you sing? sing I sang and danced <laughs> on the boat. Yeah, we did a little show and, and we did solo numbers and, and it was just fun. And then when we, we get off the boat with our tips and we get on the A train and we ride up to Harlem and we go up to Sylvia's restaurant and like have Southern food and 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 it was just an exciting, thrilling time to be there. And now I look back and I'm like, oh yeah, Madonna was doing this at that time and so-and-so was doing this at that time. And, and I just think to myself, I was like, I was a part of all of that when that was happening. Mm-hmm. So... It's exciting. So I would encourage if you're going to do New York at any point in your life, your 20s is definitely the time to do it. Mm-hmm. Don't wait until you're, you know, old and gray to try and live in New York because <laughs> it's not going to work. Because when you're young, the struggle is you don't you don't mind the struggle so much. But when you get older, the struggle is a lot to deal with in being in the city. That's how I saw it. I think that's what ended up making me move to Atlanta because Atlanta is a city, but it also has a slower pace to it. It's fast. It's faster than the country, but it's not as fast as New York City. And it's beautifully landscaped. It's pretty. The people are, they have that Southern genteelness of like, hey, how you doing? But they still get stuff done. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? So you still have that city of like, I'm moving, I'm shaking, I'm doing things, but it's like just a little slower. So it's a lot of fun. Do you think that the quote you chose, what I must do is all that concerns me? What I must do is all that concerns me, not what the people think. Ralph Waldo Emerson. Do you think that relates a lot to your career? Yes, because if I had lived my life according to what other people think, I would have never left North Carolina. I would have been living in North Carolina, doing God only knows what. I don't know what I would have done because all I've ever known or wanted to do or desired to do has been to be a creative person, uh, a person who's involved in the arts in some kind of way. And really, I consider, I consider it a privilege and an honor to be in the arts because if I can take someone who may have had a horrible day and for an hour or two hours make them forget about whatever it was that was bothering them or look at their life in a different way, then I've done my job. A lot of people live in quiet fear and their fear is what makes them say, oh, you shouldn't do that or, or, or oh, you couldn't possibly be successful at that because All they know is the fear and they're not willing to step out of their comfort zone to try and do something different. And for me, I've always tried to at least experience something new or go out and do something different or challenge myself in some kind of way that makes it all worthwhile. Because um, if you listen to all the other voices that come at you, 24-7, 365, you'll be paralyzed and you will never do anything because somebody said, oh, you shouldn't wear that or, oh, you shouldn't do this or, oh, you shouldn't talk to those people or, oh, you shouldn't have that opinion about this thing. And it's like, you know what? Live your best life the best way you can. Do the thing that makes you happy. 
And hopefully, if I'm happy, I can make other people happy. If I'm spreading love and joy and happiness, then the people who I encounter in my life are going to experience love and joy and happiness. Mm -hmm. But if I am always thinking about what other people think of me, then I'm miserable. And then in turn, I turn around and make everybody else miserable. And so that's why I love that quote. I think that quote gets to the heart of the matter immediately. It's just do you just be your best self, your authentic self. If you're authentic, then it's all going to work out. But when you're switching hats off to make other people happy and living your life uh, to, to please everybody else, you're, you're depleting your own center. Yeah. And you're not going to be happy. You're not going to be happy. And nobody else is going to be happy either. Cause it's like, God, oh, what's her problem? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, we all need to feel accepted. And I get that. But the only way to feel accepted is to accept yourself first. And somehow or another, we're taught not to do that. I don't know how, but everything in the world somehow is geared to tell you that you're not enough. When in fact, you're more than enough. And whatever you have is unique unto you. And you're, you were created in God's image of perfectness, of when, when a child is born, they are perfect. And we're the ones that chip away mm-hmm. and make them less than. And as they grow, those chips become the things that influence their life. So if you can just hang on to that part that knows I'm enough. What I do is enough. I love myself enough. And it's all going to be okay. If you can hang on to that, you'll get through so much crap. (laughs) (laughs) You'll, You'll come out the other side so much better. I hope you all enjoyed listening to this episode of Life Told by a Stranger. Stay tuned for part two of my interview with Sandra coming soon.